starts here. Would you turn to someone and just say, Christmas is coming. Go on. Just Christmas is coming. It's racing. One of the things that I love about Christmas and this time of the year is that um, we get to do our Christmas appeal. And if you are just brand new here today, if you are first time and you're wondering what this Christmas appeal is all about, we have our own Christmas appeal. And the way it kind of works here is the last number of years we've got into the practice of um, finding something that maybe emerges organically from within our community that's a, a justice issue and that we take a collection up on Christmas morning each year and we try and raise money for often the task is um, on the sort of a faraway sort of uh, goal of ours, so something overseas, and uh, that's what we're going to be doing again this Christmas. And so could I invite you as we prepare for Christmas, because Christmas is coming, um, that you think about how you can be generous for that appeal that comes up, and, uh, and we're going to launch that next year, so next year we're going to launch it next week, we are going to shift from, that's going to be a long appeal, I tell you what, Woo! we're going to be collecting for months and months and months, we're going to, we're going to start it next week, and uh, we're going to have a shift from East Timor, doesn't mean we're leaving East Timor behind, but we're going to have a shift from a different location, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about that next Next week for our Christmas appeal. The second thing I want to say, uh, whilst I encourage you about generosity, is um, uh, to remember generosity as well, because that's what we buy into each year at uh, NCR. Is that for people to block your ears if you're a first timer here this morning? People who follow Jesus, they actually have this transformed idea about generosity, and rather than accumulate, they actually buy into giving away, and that also helps pay wages for me and help run the NCR community and all those things. And we had a target some month ago of saying, we want to encourage 100 people for giving, whether it's $5, $50, $500, $5,000 a week, no matter what it is, the amount is not so much the issue, it's this kind of heart reflection that says, God, I want to thank you for the greatest gift that you've given of Jesus, and as a result of that, I want to honor you with uh, my finances and say, I give back in order, it's an act of trust, it's an act of faith, it's an act of worship, if you like, and so um, that's what we buy into. And as you'll see here, um, I think what happens along the way is that we kind of forget and so we were shooting for 100, we got up to 80, and then we stopped talking about it, it's back down to 71, and you can see the giving, our monthly target is about $45,500, it's an awesome amount, generous here, in the last three months we've kind of gone a bit south of that, so can I just encourage you, if you have the capacity to help make that up towards the end of the year, that would be that would be so generous of you and appreciate that. But even more so, if you would like to buy into generosity and that routine of giving, can I invite you to write that down on one of these white cards, place it in the burgundy letterbox, and we'll send some information to you about how we can move that forward so that we share the generosity together and all of the capacities here at the church that we make them happen and run and that I can go on holidays every now and then because that's obviously the first thing that gets cut. Um, and uh, so we would encourage you towards that. Um, over these coming months. Why don't we make November, December, January the best giving that we have because God is very generous and we buy into that as well. Well, Christmas is coming. It is the most wonderful time of the year. I remember as a young person... 
the best thing about Christmas for me was going up and visiting my grandparents all the way up in bright northeast Victoria. My parents would, on Christmas Eve, they would haul us into the car. We would have one seatbelt for four boys and we would drive up um, to bright. And by the time that we got there, it was well into the evening and we would have fallen asleep. And uh, our parents would pick us up, you know, that lovely warm feeling, and they would go and plonk you into a bed. And in the morning time, you would wake up and you would hear the, the wildlife, the birds singing, and you could smell the country air. And I would run into the living room and there was this amazing, wonderful tree, a wonderful fake tree that was sitting right there in the corner. And there was these presents wrapped up and it just hit all of the buttons as a young kid. It's one of the best memories I have of Christmas. So whenever Christmas comes, that kind of is what stirs up within me. But I realize for many people, this most wonderful time of the year is their worst time of the year. If you like, it's the time of year that they are least interested in. Why? Because of the reverse of all the things I've just described. For them, when they were growing up, there was no tree. The presents were scarce and they had no family to connect with and so come around this time it's just the reminder of the things you didn't have or of the complications of family does anyone here have complicated family things my hands are not up mum and dad um <laughs> the idea is that sometimes you've got together and you've had a the bad interaction at christmas time right uncle joe started to say some things about aunt mary and aunt mary was there and the whole thing just escalated they got real messy right or there was that family member who drank too much and, and said way too much and there were presents thrown and it's like we don't want to go back there again and so you just kind of want to leave it all behind, right? For some people, Christmas is their worst time of the year. And so our challenge over the next two months is to do this. We want to try and put the wonder back into Christmas, and the way in which you can help us do that is we're going to celebrate that in a number of ways. One of the ways is on December 10th, we're having a great grand old banquet here, telling the Christmas story, putting on a great banquet outside, and we would invite you to invite someone else along. And this is what you can do, all right? So this is the line that you can use. If you're into cheesy lines, here it is, but I think it works. Do you have anywhere to celebrate the Christmas story or to reflect upon the Christmas story? No? No? Why don't you check in to one of the things that we're doing at NCR? That's the church I go to. Yeah? Why don't you have one of these? Or maybe you buy the water cooler. And uh, you can just use that line just to such great effect. You could just walk along and you're just about to have a cup of water and you can say, hey, do you have anywhere to celebrate the Christmas story? No? Why don't you come along to, you know? Or maybe you're at school and um, some of the kids are talking around Christmas time and you can just say, do you have anywhere to celebrate the Christmas story or to reflect upon its meaning? No? Why don't you come along? You might be in the bakery this week and someone says, what would you like? And you say, well, what, really what I would really like is to ask you, <laughs> do you have anywhere to celebrate the Christmas story or reflect upon its meaning? No, well, why don't you come along to some of the things that we're doing here and you can hand one of these cards over and because I believe the Christmas story is worth telling. And to start the Christmas story today, I want to tell you the worst Christmas story there is on that very first Christmas. All right, I'm going to tell you that and begin by the, telling you the worst Christmas story on that very first Christmas. And if you want to follow with us, 
been doing the, doing the journeys course over the last few weeks. And uh, on the uh, last Tuesday night, I said, you know what? You can actually get the Bible on your app on your phone. And they said, this is incredible. Didn't even know this. So if you want to follow with us this morning, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to plunge into his writing and his narrative about this person, Jesus, and the events that he saw, heard about, wrote down 2,000 years ago. Are you ready? Are you ready to put some wonder back into Christmas? Now, my time starts now, Yvonne. Okay, here's we go. It's already started. Here's where we start. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Sounds innocuous enough, doesn't it? If you've heard this story before, it's just washed over you. Who are the Magi? Magi are learned, wise people from probably Persia or Babylon, modern-day Iran or Iraq. And they had this worldview that goes something like this. The stars in the sky can reflect the events on earth and vice versa. The events on earth are actually predicted through the stars in the sky. If you like, they had this mix of astrology and astronomy all kind of working together. So they see this star in the sky, which is actually the convergence, it seems, of two planets. The planet Jupiter, which was the kingly planet, with the planet of Saturn, which was the Jewish planet, if you like, aligned in the sky, and they put one and one together and got two. There must be a king that's been born for the Jews And so they go to find him. The only problem was, is it's under the reign of King Herod the Great. Let's pause there for a moment. King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great comes into his own around the time of the assassination of Julius Caesar, 44 BC. And then there's two generals the adopted son of Julius Caesar by the name of Octavian, who was eventually going to become the first emperor, Augustus, and another gentleman that you may have heard of before by the name of Mark Antony. Now, can anyone tell me who Mark Antony historically actually married or his famous companion? She was... Thank you very much. You are very good historical students at this point. It so happens that Herod did the only thing wrong in his entire life. For once in his life, he picked the wrong team. He picked Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, and they lost. Which, when you lost committing treason to the emperor himself, you had one of two options. The first option was to wait where you were, and they would send out their little army, and the army would come and kill you. Or you had the other option of running away. But the armies would eventually find you, and then they would kill you. So he did something that reflected his greatness. He had this vast ambition mixed with brutality, and he had a lot of gumption at the same time. He did something that no other person, probably you or I, would do. He found out that Caesar Augustus was sitting in Rhodes on that island, and so he jumped on a boat and sailed straight to Rhodes. He rolled up, knocked on the door, and presented himself as King Herod, the treasonous king. He walked into Caesar and made this elaborate, amazing speech that went something like this. Augustus, I picked the wrong team. But boy, I was loyal to Mark Antony. 
if you have my service because now I realize that you are the rightful king and emperor, I will be loyal to you just like I was to Mark Antony. You want me on your team. (laughs) Well, Augustus thought he had so much gumption that he actually agreed with him (laughs) and he made him king of the Jews. Wow. His ambition was enormous. He built aqueducts temples, Jewish temple as well as other temples. He built his own hippodrome in Caesarea, just by the seaside there that would rival all of the Olympic Olympic Stadium itself so that he could form his own Olympics. This man was ambitious beyond belief. And he was also brutal. (laughs) He had 10 wives. The one he loved most, he happened to do away with and then regretted it for the rest of his life. And he kind of lived with this paranoia that always someone was waiting to get him behind his back. He, had, he changed his will four times. And just before he was about to die himself, he had two of his children terminated. That's a figurative word. And so he could put someone else on the throne. This man was both ambitious and brutal. Now let's read the story again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked the most unwise question that you could ever ask of Herod the Great. (laughs) Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews, O King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship not you, him. Hmm. When King Herod heard this, he was, to say the least, disturbed. <laughs> and all Jerusalem with him for a different reason. Because when King Herod's paranoia kicks in, there is no telling what he will do. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Huh, strange word. Messiah was to be born. I thought we were talking about a king. But Herod knows that there's a bigger story that's at stake right here. Because he knows, even though he's not a Jew himself, that the Jewish people longed for a time in which a king, the king, a prophesied Messiah king would come. And when that Messiah king came, he would do three things. If the temple was broken down, he would rebuild it. If the land had been defiled through foreigners, he would cleanse it. And if there was another ruling force that was subjugating those peoples, he would liberate it. This king Messiah would come with a stronger sword than anyone else. And so King Herod wants to know, who is this Messiah king that will come? Well, they flip through their pages of the Bible, the Old Testament, and they find a 700-year-old prophet. He's not that age, but that's when he wrote it, by the name of Micah. And they thumb through the pages and they say, this is what one of the prophets was saying where the Messiah would be born. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Do you think King Herod's happy? (laughs) Do you think King Herod is inclined to want to really find out where this Jewish king was to be born? 
In fact, what he realizes that that moment when they come announcing that event is that he is being caught up, if you like, this baby to be born, his story is intersecting a far greater story that God has been on about since the beginning of time and how he might rescue his creation in a profound way through his chosen people, Israel. And the story goes something like this, if I can do it quickly. God created, out of that big bang and that chaos, order was formed, and his first two representatives, let's call them Adam and Eve, representatives of all humankind, he said to them, I want you to bring my order to the chaos of this world. I want you to represent me, and I want you to reflect me. But what happened? Those first few human beings did what's in the hearts of all human beings as they said, God, get out of our lives. We want to do things our way. And if you like, what they did was they created and they sent out this new ripple, this new power into the world in that first time when they said, we don't want to do what you want to do. We want to do what we want to do. And so they took the apple and they ate. <laughs> they took the fruit from that tree and they said, God, get out of our lives. And it sent a ripple through the hearts and the minds of every human being that has been since born. That same disease that the Bible calls sin, that darkens their heart and distorts their thinking, and it rippled throughout. So what did God do? He decided that he made a promise to one man. He called him out of obscurity. His name was Abraham. He said, I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to wipe out the planet. I want, to, I want to renew it from the inside out. And so he made a promise to Abraham, if you follow me, I will make you the father of a great nation of many peoples and these peoples will represent me. They will bring order to the chaos. They will re reflect me back into the world so others can see who I am. Well, some centuries later, these this people grow and they're in slavery in Egypt. And through some mighty acts and a leader called Moses, they are released into the wilderness. And there in that place, God gives them his laws, his good commands, his life-giving laws, so that they might reflect him and bring order to the chaos of the world. But what do they do? They repeat the same story as those first human beings. All those laws do is reveal the darkened and distorted minds that they have. And so makes another promise through his prophets that someone would come, a son, a true son, a right son. And through obedient trust, he would finally reflect fully who the creator and the maker is. And that he would take upon himself all of the wrong and the darkness and the evil and the sin of the world, yours and mine. And that he would live a life that reflects God. He would die on a cross and suffer. He would rise again on the third day and he would send a new power by his spirit into the world, washing people clean forgiving, if you like, bringing them alive like God had always intended so that whoever places their simple trust and faith in this son will be washed clean, welcome into God's family, restored and renewed, if you like, come alive to reflect their maker because one day in an age to come, he will come and put the whole world to rights. Herod didn't know all of that. That plays itself out. But he knew that there was a story that was beginning. And so he sent those magi, those wise men to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, 
report to me so that I might go and not worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, spices, incense, gifts that are only worth and worthy of a king and a royal king at that. Let me ask you this question this morning as you hear these words. When is the last time that you have bowed your knee and your heart in awe of someone or something greater than yourself? When is the last time you have bent your knee in awe before someone or something that is greater than yourself? You see, the Magi didn't come singing in worship. They came acting in worship. They presented gifts, bent their knee, and bowed before this child that would become the king of kings, the king of all. When is the last time you bowed your heart, your mind, your knee to anyone else in awe of someone or something that is greater than you? They came bending their knee in worship and awe. Let me put it another way. The truth is you and I have a little bit of Herod in all of us. Did you know that? You and I have a little bit of Herod in us. How do I know that? In about two weeks' time, you're going to be in a car park and you're going to want to get out of it because Eastland has its tree up. And you're going to be shopping and there's going to be some cars in front of you and you're going to get awful cranky. I know it. Then the little Herod in you will rise up usurping its own kingdom upon the kingdom of the person in front of you, and you will want to rule over them. It's true. Some of you will finish exams, and you'll be caught up in the hustle and the tussle of the bickering between friends who are a bit jealous of each other. You'll be comparing where you're going for Christmas, and then the little Herod will rise up in you, and you will want to one-up them just because. Some of you will be invited to that Christmas dinner and the first thing you will think is, oh no, Auntie Mary and Uncle Joe. And that little Herod will rise up in you and go, I don't want to go to that. I want to rule my own kingdom with my own Christmas lunch. The little Herod will rise. Don't you look at me as though he won't. He's there and you know it. So let me ask you this. Will your little Herod bow its knee before the King of Kings? Or will it rise up as little Herods do? That's why Jesus came. To defeat the little Herods in all of us. 
But the story goes on. After they had bowed, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, historians, apart from the Bible, have no recollection of this particular event. But is it past Herod to do something like that? No. In fact, it was around this exact time that Herod was suffering the most excruciating, painful death. He had a kidney disease that was incurable. He tried to take his life, but one of his friends or cousins actually prevented him from doing so. It was that excruciating. But because he knew that no one would weep over his death when he died, he schemed and plotted this most evil thing. He told those who would usurp him and and follow on from him that on the day of his death that they were to collect some of the elite nobles of Jerusalem, have them brought down to Jericho and slaughtered before the people so that there would be weeping in the streets on the day that Herod died. Not weeping over Herod, but because of him. They didn't carry that one through, but that's what Herod the Great, the ambitious, brutal king, wanted. And so this is what happened. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Wow. While Mary and Joseph are fleeing to Egypt, they carry the knowledge and she carries it with her all of her life that while her child is safe, that there are other parents in Bethlehem, friends of theirs, whose children have been killed. She carries with her the knowledge that while she was fleeing and making safe for her own, that other babies had been removed and were no more. All her life. But she also carried with her a little child that would become to known that in the great darkness that shone over their land, there was a light that shone and that that darkness could not extinguish that light no matter how many Herods there were to try and eliminate that light that this little child would grow and become the light of all humankind the one who came to die for the little Herods in all of us that need to be defeated the one who comes to offer himself in worship to be worshipped Because he is the only rightful, true King of kings and Lord of all. And Mary carried with her that knowledge all of her life. So how do you put the wonder back into Christmas? (laughs) Well, whilst you're planning your perfect Christmas in two months time 50 days time 49 around there and you're trying to find the perfect decorations for the perfect tree for the perfect roast leg of lamb the perfect present to have that perfect christmas lunch 
And then you start comparing yourself with Mr. and Mrs. Perfect, who really are perfect and have it all together, and starting to feel sorry about the self that you don't. I want you to stop. Stop. Stop planning for perfection. Because Mary and Joseph and God didn't go to all that trouble so that you could have a perfect Christmas. They went to that trouble so that you might know the wonder that in a world full of violence and evil and cynicism and manipulation and failed perfection, that God's light shines and the darkness does not overcome it. That he outwits the wise Herods. He outwits the tyranny and the pain and the torture and the suffering because that is who God is and that is what God does. Do you want to put the wonder back into Christmas? It begins here today. It begins here now with a simple question. Who will you worship? Will you worship the little Herod within? Will you worship the age of materialism? Will you worship the perfection that you have to strive towards? Will you worship the next toy that comes our way? Or will you worship the only one true thing, person that is worthy of worship? A little baby who is the King of Kings. Mark and the band are going to come up and play a song in a moment for us to reflect upon. But as they do, the question I want to leave you with who will you worship this Christmas? Because if you want to put the wonder back into it, you have to leave the perfection aside, enter into the story and realize that your story intersects with this story of Jesus, which intersects with a far greater, grander story, the story of God remaking his world, where darkness dwells, but where light shines because a new king has come. We worship him. Who will you worship this Christmas time? Because this little child, he grew and became a man. It's easy to worship a little child, but when he grows and the crowds start to move away from him, will you still worship him? Will you still worship this king that when he hangs on a cross and he's stripped bare and people mock him and spit at him, will you still worship him when others leave him behind? Will you worship him, the one who rises from the dead and offers new life? Oh, the story goes well then, but will you worship him when others say you're crazy and you're stupid and you are mad? That's just a fairy tale and a legend. Who will you worship this Christmas time? And if you're here this morning and you decide, I want to worship that king, then I want to draw a line in the sand and challenge you right here. 
begin, begin, begin here today by making a choice. If you say you follow this king and you're yet to be baptized, in two weeks' time, I want you to plunge yourself under the waters to say, I'm with him, the baby king. If you're here this morning and you have been surrounded by the story of Christmas, but you've never absorbed it yourself, then I challenge you, take one of these booklets today and wake up for the next two months and read the story and ask, God, how does my story intersect with this story of a little child who's part of a grander story of what God is doing and still doing in this world? And engage with it as though it's the first time you've heard it not the last maybe you're here this morning and you say I actually want to meet that king here today then I want to pray with you right now you can meet with him right now and come alive with him by praying and asking him into your life so just as Mark is about to sing I'm going to pray And if you would like the refreshment to know that this king is alive in you or a fresh touch of a king who seems like distant and he's he's far away, but he's, he's just, he's closer than you think. Then would you join with me as you bow your heart and your mind to the king of kings and pray with me. God, I want to thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I want to thank you that you sent this child into this world. And now, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you be my king? Would you pour out your power and your strength into my life that I might know you? Would you wash me clean? Would you welcome me home? Thank you for dying for me. I now turn to you. You fresh me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to these words and allow God to speak to you.